Hello friends, I'm glad that you found me. My name is Brandon D, or in the social media world, you know me as Mr. Gratitude. I'm so glad that you found me. I love to dive deep and talk about the things that everybody thinks about, but is afraid to talk about. When it comes to life, dating, positivity, motivation, and a little bit of the free thinking mindset, you're in the right place. Go grab yourself a cold drink, grab yourself some snacks, get comfy. Here we go. Well, in this episode, as promised, I do have Dr. Anna Trebo with me. She is a psychologist based out of Massachusetts. She's been on the show before. She is one of my favorite psychologists. She's just absolutely incredible. Her and I have bantered before. She's back with me again tonight. We're going to discuss your mental health questions, your relational health questions. So you know what to do. Go grab yourself something to snack on. Grab a warm or a cold drink, depending on where you're located, because this is going to be fantastic. Here we go. All right, friends. Well, as promised, I do have Dr. Anna Trebo with me again, and we are going to address and discuss not only some mental health questions, but relational health questions as well. If we're going to spin off from the first time her and I uh, had this bantering on my podcast, we're going to have some more exciting things. These are some of the things that you guys have asked me in my live sessions. You've asked me on Instagram, and I am going to ask Dr. Anna those things right now. So without further ado, my friend, Dr. Anna, how are you, my friend? I am very good, Brendan. I'm happy to be here, happy to be invited on your podcast. I love collaborating with you. Uh, I the, the feeling is mutual. I get uh, amped up. I always check your TikTok. Your content is getting better and better. Your following's growing. Your content is getting more impactful and people are just really starting to adore you. Thank you, Brendan. I hope that's the case. I, I try to do my best. <laughs> So recently, I was checking out some of your content tonight before we went live, and something that I was excited about that I wanted to ask you is you had this content, and I did a stitch with you (laughs) um, about emotional investment early on in a relationship. Yeah. Now, for me, when I coach, when I consult, when I mentor clients, I always tell them that that is a yellow flag, not a red flag per se, but a yellow flag watch out for narcissists, watch out for love bombing. Yes. I, wanna, I want your opinion. I want you to really take it home on what that content meant about emotional investment too early in a relationship. So basically what I meant is that the emotional investment that you give into a relationship should be gradual and it should also be in proportion to what you see the other person investing. Um, because what ends up happening is sometimes you invest a lot more than the person that you're in a relationship with or even if, you know, the other person's investing a lot, it, like you said, sometimes with narcissists, they might seem like they're investing a lot because they're love bombing you. 
in the early stages of a relationship, really neither of you should be investing way too much. Like it's okay to show interest in someone and to be genuine about it. And you don't have to play games or anything like that. But when it's over the top and way too much, because you don't really know this person, right? If you, if you just started dating, I think it usually, like you said, is, an, is a yellow flag. Um, if the other person's investing too much and if they're pulling for you to invest too much, it usually is a yellow flag. So what do you think is the core to that? Why, why would somebody who doesn't know you, why would they want to d- invest so much into a complete stranger? Let's, let's get to the core of that because I get that question a lot. So one of, I mean, the main reason really deep down is insecurity. So they invest that much because they want you to invest that much to kind of match their energy, uh, so to speak. And when they get you to that point, they feel like they got you. Um, and, and they do a lot of times. And so what ends up happening is then they can kind of use you either economically or emotionally for whatever they might have needs for. It might also be a deep-rooted insecurity about love. So some people have insecure attachment style and they're afraid of abandonment. They're afraid that they're going to end up alone. And sometimes when they find someone that they like, they invest a ton and want the other person to invest a lot so that they kind of secure the relationship because they're afraid of being alone. Mm -hmm. But again, when you don't know someone that well, you shouldn't invest that much and you shouldn't jump into it that deep in because you really are just getting to know each other, seeing if you're compatible or not. um, And investing that much just as a setup for pain on either end or for both of you. So it's very, very important to, to go into it gradually. Yes. Yes. That is exactly what I say. I say the exact same thing because I make, I make them think, I go, well, think about it logically. Why would you do that? And exactly what you just said. And they subconsciously and psychologically aren't aware that they might have an issue. Well, well, Brandon, I'm just, I'm just a nice person. I like to do this. I like to do that. And I go, I'm sorry to tell you, but that means that you are not a hundred percent emotionally available there is an issue with that and that's that's why I wanted to dive deep on that yeah no and like you said there is an emotional uh, lack of a availability and that insecurity that you know that you just want to secure a relationship you just want to be with someone so badly that you kind of just want to yeah grab on latch on to the first person you you like and seems compatible on the surface and you you invest way too much allow that other person to invest too much into a relationship you're not even sure about because you don't know them fully yeah and you you had said something about gradual and what the outlook i have on it is when you're starting off you're talking you're you're connecting you're courting somebody you're going through that courtship I always advise against spending too much time together in yep. the beginning because you have nothing to look forward to. And yep. you, you, you really do have to have that gradual process and you get to a point. I like to use the year standpoint. I would say by a year, you know, I like to say, Hey, either piss or get off the pot, right? You, you should yep. know, you should know, is this the person I want to spend the rest of my life with or not? But you don't get to that point by being with them every day, by being attached to them, because what comes on like a firecracker burns out like a firecracker. Yep, exactly, exactly. And, and, and it can feel exciting that someone is so interested in you and like, they're like asking for commitment right off the bat and like exclusivity and da da da. But I think 
like you said, it should be gradual. It has to be gradual and you shouldn't be seeing this person every day. You shouldn't move in, you know, a week later. Um, it has to be a gradual process. And it's part of the excitement, like you said, like meeting once a week, not being sure what day of the week you're gonna meet. Um, all that is part of the process. And in that courtship, you can be dating a couple more people. Now, I, with that, I don't mean like dating 10 different guys. And like, no, no, or, no. But keeping your options open, because again, when you close yourself to this one person, again, it could be investing too much too early. Right. Now, in two, three weeks, if you really feel like this is someone you're really interested in, sure, you can stop dating other people. That's okay. Um, but I think it is important that like, you don't want to do that right after the first date or something like that. No. And it's, it's open, honest, mature conversation. Like you said, there, there's nothing wrong with dating multiple people, but be honest yeah. about it. And, and yeah. I always say, don't ask, don't ask because you know, that person's talking to other people, just like you are throw yeah. your ego, throw your ego out the window. It's not yeah. going to get you anywhere. Uh, yeah. be, be open, and honest, don't be shady and definitely explore your options and make sure that you know what you want and be intentional. Yeah, I agree completely. And you know what? You shouldn't ask because first you're not going to like the response because the person <laughs> that's probably talking to other people. And if you are right for that person, you will end up with them. Um, even exactly. if they're talking to them, those other people do not matter. Yes. And if you're not meant for them and that, and that person becomes more interested in some of the other women or men that they're talking to, then you're not meant to be. That's, that's it. And, and, yes. you know, good riddance, like, no, and nothing personal, like there's nothing wrong with someone not being interested in you, but that just is a sign that that person isn't for you. So yep. again, it goes back to don't latch on to anybody because too early, because you don't really know, you know, if you're compatible. Well, and, and it, it goes back to that fluff, fluff, woo, woo, you know, when you get all those chemicals and those hormones flowing, it takes over, it hijacks your mind, you know? Oh, for sure. So you're, you're not in your right mind. And that's why we say yeah. it's cool. There's nothing wrong with liking them. There's nothing wrong with mm -hmm. wanting to be with them, but you need to pump the brakes and, and bottle yes. that energy, bottle it, bottle it and sprinkle it throughout. Um, yeah. So yeah. that is going to segue me into attachment styles. I get that yes. question a lot too. I go, you know, Brandon, okay, well, you're telling me that I have, that I'm anxious or that I'm needy or I'm doing this. So let's tell the audience, uh, Dr. Anna, what are the attachment styles? Yeah, this is an excellent question. So you have secure attachment and insecure attachment. So around 50, around 60% of the population, give or take, have a secure attachment style and 40% of the population have an insecure attachment style. Now, within the insecure attachment style, we have different types. We have the avoidant, which are the people that usually we call emotionally unavailable. They're very cold, distant uh, when they go into a relationship or they're hot and cold. This is a typical profile of a narcissist um, where they can say, they can talk a big game, but at the end of the day, they don't actually act on what they're feeling and they're withdrawn. Like there's, there's sort of a wall, an emotional wall with them. Then there's, and, and again, th why this is, is a deep rooted insecurity. It's like they don't invest completely emotionally in any relationship because they're afraid of getting hurt. Yeah. And it comes from their insecure attachment style. And then we have the anxious attachment style, which is also very common. And they attract, the anxious and the avoidant attract oh, yeah. each other. Uh, the, the anxious attachment style is the typical, like, and I, I'm gonna say a stereotypical women um, that's very needy, although there are men with anxious attachment styles. 
Uh, this person is really afraid of being abandoned, needs constant reassurance, um, is really afraid of conflict or tension within the relationship. And so they have difficulty setting boundaries because they don't want to upset their partner and maybe have them abandon them. Right. Um, they, they tend, both styles tend to be very jealous um, in a way that's immature. Like I need to check your phone. You need to send me your location. I want Ooh. a photo of who you're with, that sort of thing. Um, and so those things usually contribute to difficulties in the relationship. Um, so yeah. And then the last uh, insecure attachment style, which is very uncommon, is kind of the ambivalent. Um, it's a mix of the anxious and the uh, avoidant. So some people, it's least common, um, have sometimes they show an anxious attachment style and sometimes they show more of an avoidant uh, attachment style. So percentage wise, I, I'm going to joke and, uh, you know, I have humor in everything. So the, the last one, we'll call them the hybrid. We'll call them the hybrid yeah, attachment style. What percentage of people would you say is in that hybrid category? Um, I'm, I don't know the exact number, but it's less than the other one. So 40% of the population approximately are insecure attachments. Like if we mix all three of those types together, but I would say within that percentage, probably like 10% are that hybrid. Um, and then we have a lot of men being like, this is a stereotype, right? It's not absolutely like this, like right. a rule, but there is more men with uh, the avoidant attachment style and more Makes women sense. with the anxious attachment style. I think it has a lot to do with just how the uh, men and women just interact in relationships. Um, and also our upbringing, like it's not, I think men are raised to be more avoidant because it looks more manly yep. to be distant. I'm cool, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm chill, I'm distant, I'm go. not bad. Yeah, whereas women, it's, you know, not as, I guess, taboo to be clingy or needy, but in both styles, really underlying both is insecurity, a lot of insecurity, both in the avoidant and the anxious. Even though the avoidant doesn't seem needy, in the, deep down, they are terrified of abandonment and that's why they don't show attachment. They don't, they're avoidant. They don't really emotionally attach to anybody. Yeah. And that's tough because that, again, that goes back to not being emotionally available. You're guarded, yes. you have walls yep. up and yep. that's, that's never good because you can't let somebody in. Exactly. You know, you can't love them fully. Uh, you can't give yourself completely. And Another thing that happens is the minute you see something you don't like in the person, you start discarding them, you know, oh, yeah. and also is not good. Like, cause once you're advanced in the relationship, um, little things or flaws that you see in your partner, if it's not a deal breaker, you need to work through it. You can't just say, you know what, I'm done. Like I'm abandoning you. Cause that, and this is why it's so terrible when these two combine, when someone with anxious attachment style, um, falls in love with someone that's avoidant. Yeah. It's a terrible combination. It just worsens the insecurities. Um, yeah, and it happens a lot now. That's the sad, disheartening does. part is because it's, it's so common right now. Yeah. And you know why it is? It's really your upbringing. So people with insecure attachment style are usually brought up in an environment that had an insecure attachment style with their parents. So usually as a child, you, had, you didn't have a secure attachment style with, with your parents. Right. And so... So now you repeat that in your love life as an adult. Um, and the problem is it perpetuates kind of that trauma. And the only way to break that is actually, you know, if you have an insecure attachment style to find someone with secure attachment style. Now what will happen right. is, 
yeah, our childlike brain is not going to be immediately attracted to people with secure attachment style because that's how self-sabotage works. Like usually you're more attracted to someone toxic because that was kind of like your family environment. It's yeah. like what's familiar. Yeah. So through therapy and healing, you need to find um, love in secure attachment style. And, in, and really it can heal you to be with someone with secure attachment style who can teach you what love actually is like, like healthy love. Now let's, let's clarify that because part of what you said, I know some of my audience is going to go, wait a minute, that sounds like I'm being used, but then the other part of my audience is going to get it about being, you know, the balancing each other out. So where's really that separation of, Hey, this is a healthy balance having these two attachment styles or, Hey, this person is using me because I bring that security and comfort. Can you kind of define that separation? Excellent question. So, yeah, I mean, and I don't think it's anybody's, um, role in a relationship to save the other person because like you said that might make them feel even used but I think it's more like um it's a really like a a loving commitment to kind of um I think it has to be a genuine love so sometimes people with secure attachment style might have like a savior complex and like want to save the person that has all these emotional if that's the reason you're loving this person or attaching to them that's not good Um, It has to come from a genuine place where you really love this person, despite, you know, the clinginess, the neediness, the needing reassurance, et cetera. Um, And then it's the other person's responsibility to get help and to heal and to get therapy. So they shouldn't rely on their partner to completely heal them, so to speak. It's more like the partner is there to kind of help them along the way, guide them. Um, Because again, like, those are the only people it's healthy to date because if you date someone with insecure attachment, it's just going to worsen your insecure attachment. Like you're never going to get out of that hole. Um, but yeah, I do want to clarify that it's not that person's responsibility with the secure attachment to save you either. You have to go to therapy. You have to, you know, do your, your due diligence uh, on your side as you're in this relationship with the person that's has secure attachment. Great. Great. Thank you for that. Cause I know I'm going to get folks with, with questions on that too. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. 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 Now the next one is, you know, building, building up that confidence. Everybody at some point in their life is going to go through a horrible breakup. They're going to go through a divorce, which no divorce is a good divorce. Um, (laughs) that, that really that building up confidence. Now I have my ways from a consulting standpoint, however, you are the professional psychologist. And I, and I wanted to ask you, what do you recommend? What are some things that maybe you've experienced personally for that, those confidence builders? I've been getting a lot of questions lately of, hey, Brandon, I just got divorced. I'm not confident. I don't know how to date. Nobody's going to find me attractive. What are some ideas psychologically to really help build up that confidence and break free from that insecurity? Yeah. And this happens a lot. It's an excellent question because of course you've been in a marriage for X amount of years or uh, in a relationship uh, for a long time, and you now find yourself in a situation where you're out there dating again, and yeah, you might feel like your skills are rusty, or you feel older than you did when you were dating yeah. way back when, uh, all these things, or maybe you're not at your ideal weight, or whatever it might be. I think it's really important in this instance to go back to the things that you enjoy, to the hobbies, to your interests, the things that you know that you master or that you're good at uh, and get back to that stuff because that can really help you feel more confident and also 
feel like you're interesting or you like you have something to contribute in in a relationship um that that you're not just i don't know like two you're not like one dimensional like you have interests you have passions and that can also help you when you're out dating have conversations find people with interests that align with yours so that you have something to build on as you're getting to know this person you have activities that you can do together um etc cetera, etc cetera. and then when it comes to like the actual dating and the social anxiety that comes with it right like yes, feeling yeah. judged evaluated feeling because like it does feel like a job interview doesn't it um those first dates i can tell you like in my own experience um i'm i'm dating after many years of being married um and just going through my separation, it is kind of bizarre. It is sort of like a, a mutual job interview where you're trying to see, yeah. Like, yeah, feeling each other out. I think it's important to remind yourself to just be yourself. And like, that should be enough. Because again, if this person's right for you, then being yourself should be enough. If they're not right, right for you, then it's it's not going to work out. And, and it's good that it doesn't work out because you're probably not compatible. Yes. Um, now, this is easier said than done. So what you need to do is practice, practice, practice. Go on as many first dates as you can. Because it's just like with any fear, the more you confront it and practice, the better you get at it and the, the fear lessens with time. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like if you had a small child that was afraid of dogs, what we, you need to do for them to overcome their fear is have them approach a dog you might start with like a small dog that's a little chihuahua <laughs> like a little chihuahua. yeah exactly and then you know and maybe on a leash right and then maybe you take the leash off and then you start with a bigger dog and it's the same with dating maybe you start off just having conversation with women or men uh, whichever it may be um you know at the grocery store just I starting up small talk you know? yeah yeah and, and not with it, not necessarily because you're hitting on them, right? Just practice small talk, you know, um, just practice it. Practice makes perfect. Social skills are just like any skill. The more you do it, the better you get at it and the more confident you become. And so if your, you know, small talk is rusty, if your pickup lines are rusty, just, you know, start small, start with people that maybe don't intimidate you as much um, at the supermarket or whatever, and then build from there. Um, and then go on as many dates as you can until you, until the, you'll see that the anxiety goes down subsides after you go on several dates. And I can tell you from my own personal experience, I've suffered from social anxiety my entire life. Which is and hard like, to believe from you. I know, I know. <laughs> and like, I couldn't give presentations at school. I would get so nervous. Like my voice, like my voice would crack. It would be terrible. But then I became a college professor and I had to give lectures every day for three, sometimes six hours. Ugh. And like, I tell you, like after that first semester, like I wasn't anxious anymore. Yeah. The yeah. first time it was nerve wracking, but then, so what I would say is the worst thing you can do if you're anxious about dating or you feel less confident is avoiding it, staying at home and just avoiding the Because if you avoid it, you're never going to overcome that fear. No, you won't step out of that comfort zone. Yep, exactly. You're you're just in the comfort zone. Yeah. yeah. And none of this is easy. The more interested you are in that person, the more anxious they'll make you. That's just natural. Yeah, it's you. And, and I think, well, actually not. I think I know that is the reason why I just enjoy so much having these conversations with you because we are on the same wavelength. 
um, when it comes to presenting this and helping people get out of that darkness. And, yeah. and it works. It, it really, yeah. it, it works. Um, it's always gradual. I think so many people um, are hard on themselves. They want to be completely changed the next day. They don't want to be patient. And it's all about living in the now. And I like to joke and yeah. say living a quarter mile at a time, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And you're, you're right, Brendan. Cause I think some people also feel like if I'm not ripped and I don't look my best, I'm not going to start dating until I like lose weight. No, right. no, start now. Start, just yeah. start practicing it. You know, um, maybe you find the love of like the love of your life at the end of the day, probably will not care uh, what weight you're, you know what I mean? Like, uh, amen. I mean, so I think that it's, it's just, I think we all put these barriers in our mind, these psychological barriers, like not until I do this, can I go out yeah, and put myself no. out there? Now, yeah. the only thing that I would say is a barrier and a real one is if you broke up too recently, because that is a setup. I think then you 100%. have to wait. 100%. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. You have to wait and heal. Um, but in other respects, I think like if, if six months, a year has gone by, I think it, you're, you're probably ready to get out there. Exactly and one last right. thing also, if you're feeling anxious on a date, don't say, oh no, I'm anxious. Like I'm going to say something stupid. Actually, anxiety is kind of good on a date because if you think about it, if you're way too relaxed, you might do something that's embarrassing on a date. Just think yeah. about what you do when you're completely relaxed. You might fart, you might say like a joke, <laughs> you know, add a tone, you know what I mean? Like, when you're with your buddies and like you're completely relaxed, you sometimes say things that might be inappropriate at a date. Right. Anxiety helps us be like on our best behavior, so to speak, and to be aware of those things that maybe, you know, you don't want to show on a first date. After a year of being with someone, sure, but yeah, maybe yeah. not on that first date. You might scare them away a little bit. So that is so funny. That's then it's true. It, you know, it's like when you're driving, if you drive too relaxed, you're more likely to get in an accident, you know, you, exactly. so it, a little bit of anxiety is not a bad thing. It's not, no. it's kind of like with a job interview. You don't want to go in so relaxed that you like say a ton of F bomb. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you want to <laughs> do that. Like the anxiety helps you, you know, monitor, filter what you're saying and, and be on your best behavior. That's awesome. Cause I know a lot of my audience is just now getting out there um, and, in the dating and they're, ah, they're in unfamiliar territory now. So the, the last thing we're, we're close to wrapping up here. Gosh, time flies. I swear, um, is, is moving on and letting go. Now I, as you know, I'm very direct, I'm very assertive and I don't sugarcoat And some of my audience, some of my fans, some of my clients, they struggle with that because they want me to tell them the things that they want to hear. And I'm like, I'm not your guy. Like, I'm not going to give you a fairy tale. I'm going to give you the truth. And the hardest thing for them to deal with is moving on from a relationship. They want to know what that person's doing. Why is that person not want to be with me anymore? And I always try and tell them it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Closure is overrated. Having closure is going to be worse for you than if you just accept what you're in right now and move on. Anna, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? I agree. I agree. And I think that, um, yeah, like you said, seeking that closure or getting that last explanation as to why this person dumped you or doesn't want to be with you. At the end of the day, it is overrated and it can even be harmful. Um, I don't think anything is really gained from that. Um, it's much more important that you 
try to let it go and understand that whatever the reason is that this did not work out, first of all, it's not all on you. It doesn't have to necessarily be something about you that made this breakup occur. It's an incompatibility. There's nothing like inherently wrong with you. It's just this person doesn't find you compatible with what they want in that moment. It might even be that like a year before you were on the same page, you were compatible, but something in, in this person's psychology life changed and now things are just not working out. You're not compatible. They don't see you in their life long-term. And you know what? Good riddance. Like if this person doesn't want you in their life, then they're not the one. Like it's, you know, you probably dodged a bullet there because you would have been wasting your time on someone that's not fully invested, that doesn't really want to. And that's another thing. Don't insist. Don't pressure people into being with you if yes. they're hesitant. Because yes. if they're hesitant, then they're not fully in there. And you're just going to suffer in that relationship because yep. you're going to feel like you're fully invested. Yep. And that other person's kind of like, and that's just your insecurities are going to go. But so it, no one should give you value. Like the fact that someone wants to be with you doesn't make you more deserving or worthy or a better human. And it doesn't make you less of a human if someone doesn't want to be with you or does it make you less deserving, uh, have less worth? Your worth is not defined by someone wanting to be with you. Amen. It's not an accomplishment to be married. It's not an accomplishment to be in a relationship. Like it doesn't make you, you know, being single doesn't make you any less than someone that's been married. Like yes. it, it doesn't. Yes. I, again, gosh, we are just boom. We're just firing it off here. Um, thank you for that. So I know, uh, I know there's, there's going to be a lot of folks that are interested in that because uh, tying into that, another thing that I'm highly against is putting somebody on a pedestal because in this day and age, so many relationships, almost every relationship I encounter, I try and teach them the difference between infatuation versus love. And 90% of relationships are infatuation. They think that this person is their God. They make them their God. And you can never, ever, ever do that. The moment you put somebody on a pedestal, here's what's going to happen. You're going to lose yourself. You're not going to know how to survive because even if that's the person that you end up marrying, they're going to pass away and die on you one day, or they're going to leave that relationship. And if you don't make them your equal and know your power, you're going to drown yourself. Exactly. I agree completely because even if you end up marrying this person that you've put on a pedestal, it's going to be hard for you to put even boundaries or limits in the relationship because you feel like they're infallible. Like, you know, if they say, no, this is the, you know, it's my way or the highway, you're going to say, okay, yes, sir. And, and you, instead of asserting your boundaries, um, because again, you've put them on a pedestal, you don't question it. And when those red flags come up and you need to get divorced or you need to separate or you need to break up, since they're on a pedestal, you will, you'll put up with more than you should. Um, yes. So you have to think everybody's just a human. doesn't matter how impressive they are, how, whatever, they're all just human. And I don't want to say, I don't think that people are replaceable per se, but this isn't the only person for you. Like, I, I, I know like this is hard to think about, but we have like multiple soulmates. Like, even if it feels like this person's a soulmate and I want to put them on a pedestal, like when the time comes and I see that there's problems in the relationship, I need to let go and understand that this isn't the only person out there yep. that can make me. 
So what do you, how do you feel about, now there's an old psychological term about the third person is supposed to be the person that you're meant to be with forever. You have your puppy love. Help me out on that. I've heard this before and I, I don't usually teach it. I don't teach it. I don't really believe in it, but I want, since you're, you know, psychology here, you know, your first love's your puppy love. Your second love is your intense love or something like that. And then your third one's supposed to be meant to be. What is that? What is that? So I don't know if I believe that there's like an exact number like that, but like, like, you know, like three, but I think why that rule comes up or why people use it is because I think we go through stages of maturity, you know what I mean? And like, I think that that's what it is. Like when we're an adolescent, obviously, like you said, it's like the puppy love. It's, you don't even know yourself. You don't love yourself when you're an adolescent, you hate yourself. Like, and when you don't love yourself, you can't really find your equal. Um, And so I think as we age, we mature. And by the third phase of our life, whichever that may be, um, we're at a more mature stage where we've had two past serious relationships or how many you needed to recognize what you actually need in life. Um, Sometimes, like you said, we get infatuated because someone's really admirable. Like, we go for the most attractive guy or the most, I don't know, like the most confident dude. And what we don't recognize is that those are actually things that are not that important in our day to day. We go through failed relationships. We start recognizing what is actually important to us. Um, And we also learn to love ourselves and we learn to know ourselves too, like what we actually need. Yeah. Because maybe you don't need that, that guy that like, you know, is the, the one that's like the center of the party, the center of the tension, like, yeah, that guy is fun to be around at parties, but at home, maybe he's a mess, you know? Um, So you recognize what your deal breakers are, what you're not willing to put up with what's, you know, what's important. Yeah. And that, and you, you nailed it there too, is looks. I mean, we, we hit, I would say under 30, it's like, Hey, we want to have this trophy person. We yes. want to show off. And then yeah. at over 30, you get to that point. You're like, okay, this doesn't matter. This person has nothing going for them. They're, they're involved in this. And you really start to emotionally and mentally mature. And some of my audience is going to chuckle at this, but that is why most of my audience is the 30 and above because they relate to wanting something real, something mature. Very yes. rarely do I have the under 30 crowd because they're not there yet. They're not no, they're, there yet. No, no, they're still looking for status symbols in their partners. And like, cause again, it's like an extension of your worth. Look at the hot person that I'm with. This is like, it's, it's yeah, it's like a flex. It's like, you know, um, and, and as you get older, you recognize that it doesn't really matter what other people think about your partner, as long as you're yes. happy, you're the one married to them yes. or with them day to yes. day. And the truth is we all get old and ugly. Like that's just a fact. And so <laughs> not me, you- <laughs> <laughs> but we're getting there, right? Like when we're oh. in our seventies or eighties, I guess like men age better than women, but I think we need to find someone that has a little bit more than that. You know what I mean? Right. Beneath the surface. Like, I, and I'm not to say that physical attraction is important. Like you Absolutely. need that at the beginning. Like if, if you're not attracted to the person, it's not going to work. But I think our expectations are sometimes way off uh, when it comes to yeah. that or how much importance we give to that. Like how much weight. Yeah. Well, it's been, it's been fantastic. I can't believe how fast this goes by. Gosh, I think somewhere down the line, I got to get you on here for a third time. Cause I always get such great questions for my psychologists and, uh, 
you know, I could go on and on. Um, you know, near the end of my show, I always give my guests the four. Um, you've said it before, but I've had a lot more new folks come into the podcast and come into my content since the last time we spoke. Can you please tell my audience who you are, where do you practice out of, and you know how, how you and I connected? And also, if you have any charities or anything that you're working on currently that my, my audience can help you out with. So um, my name is Ana Treva. I have a PhD in clinical psychology. I work at McLean Hospital that's affiliated to Harvard Medical School. I'm an instructor there. Um, and I work at the geriatric um, psychiatry. I do a lot of group therapy and individual therapy there. And me and Brendan met through TikTok. Um, I had a very small account. He started following me and gave me a lot of support right from the beginning. So I'm always going to be grateful for that. As, as I'm grateful for you, my friend. And we're coming up near the holidays. Do you have any charity work or anything you're doing on your neck of the woods? You know, I'm here in technically the West Coast. You're over there on the East. Do you have anything going on that my audience might be able to help you out with? And how would they connect with you as well? So my uh, Instagram handle is at mindfulmom.ec. And uh, my TikTok is at mindfultips. Um, and currently, I haven't thought of any charity now that the holiday is coming up. Um, I haven't really given it much thought yet. I can't believe it's already December. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if, if something comes up, I'll let you know so that you can tell your audience. Awesome. I always do that because especially in the social media world, most of my friends are working on some form of charity. And I like, I like to give and help out because... I always do my work behind the scenes. I don't like to advertise it and show it just because that's not what you do, you know, and I, I want my guests to, to get some help there. So. No, I think it's excellent. Th thank you, Dr. Anna. I, I appreciate you. Super grateful for my audience. If you love me, if you love this podcast, you know, I don't ask you guys for anything please make sure you're dropping me a review. It helps with my rankings and my ratings to continue to have fantastic guests like Dr. Anna on the show. Leave me a review, spread this message everywhere, share it with your friends, stay tuned because next week I'm going to be doing a solo cast. We're going to finish out the year with another great guest on December 22nd. I am going to have a certified sex therapist on the show. We're going to dive deep into the taboo, talk about the things that I can't talk about in content. We're going to crush it here on this podcast. So my friends until next time, stay blessed. <laughs>